This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everybody, Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio with my friend Dave Shadeen. Hi, Dave. Hi, Carm. Man, it's great to be here. I'm excited about maybe next year being on that cruise you were just on. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Yeah. That was just, that was so much fun. Really, we had such a great time at a couple of business meetings networked. And actually, we got a chance to see people in in an environment that was casual, relaxed. I never ate more desserts. I never watched my friends eat more desserts. (laughs) So (laughs) it was really, really great. Cruises are kind of off the charts. Dave Shadeen, CEO, Comp Utrecht. Automotive Solutions, Coach Dave. Wow, this is going to be an intense episode. So if you want to come on board, hang in there with us. We're going to talk about intangible holes in your business. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I just said intangible holes in your business. Dave loves this topic. He works with his clients on this a lot. And I think we're going to all get uh, a great piece of wisdom. Remember, if you earn your living in the service aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening and we'll bring you the latest from Apex 2024. Save the date, November 5th through the 7th, 2024. Hey, did you know that Napa Tracks has on-site training plus six days a week support? It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Let us prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Find Napa Trax on the web at N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Hey, Dave. So let's jump into this thing. Wow. You called me about this. We talked about this and I saw your talking points. I was like, okay, heavy, heavy stuff, but I think it could really help. It is. You know, it's funny that so many times, and I don't mean this to sound chauvinistic, but most of the auto arena is the male demographic. And I'm glad it's shifting and changing. We have a lot more female presence in our business because I think they're going to add to the balance of what needs to make a really strong industry. But the problem with the male demographic is we're not in touch. What do they call those things? Oh, yeah, feelings. We don't get in touch with the power of the emotion, the emotional intelligence. And I'm not talking about being over theatrical and super emotional where your emotions on the sleeve. I'm not talking about going there, but it's the intentional fortitude. When you have a company that you want to take places, you want to go places, set goals, have more, better, different, create abundance and increase. The A better mousetrap is going to help you get there. But the problem with a better mousetrap is it's kind of like the book that Brian Clemmer wrote, and I've mentioned it before on a show. If how-tos were enough, we'd all be skinny, rich, and happy. We just go follow what somebody else did. But it ain't about the doing. It's about how are we showing up the beingness, that emotional intelligence into what it is that we do so that what we do is at the highest level so that what we will eventually have will be at the highest increase in level we've ever had before. Dave, look at I get feelings. And are you saying that I need to be able to do something with them, recognize them, let them out? Yes, and harness them. Having been my life, I've seen that most of my constraints revolve around my internal dialogue and thinking on an emotional intelligence level. Every area that my life that didn't go as I wanted, didn't go as planned, it came around something running in me that was limiting how I saw myself, how I viewed the world, how I viewed others, how I viewed preventative maintenance, how I viewed diagnostic, how I viewed CRM, how I viewed everything was based on uh, tape scripts and programs, as I call them, that really a lot of them were created when we were kids. And so as we grow up, we carry that same scarcity into everything that we actually do. One of the 
elements that I coach on. And when my life kind of went through a big change in 2010, I invested $50,000 in 18 months into Dave because my emotional intelligence is what was my limiting. And so inside of that, what I found is that when I really came to grip with changing me, my clients change. And here's the result that it produces is my average client. When I first started coaching back in 2006 to 2010, they were gaining about 204,000 of new GP dollars in 12 months from our coaching and training, tried and true proven systems, the better mousetrap, so to speak. And so then some things in life happened to me in a sense, life kind of blew up and invested 50 grand into Dave And next thing you know, persona, Dave's actually more of his authentic self. Dave doesn't have as many limiting beliefs. Do I still have them? Yep. Am I still working on them? Yep. It's a life journey. And now within 18 months of when I started that journey, now my clients are getting over 300 grand of new GP dollars. Same coaching, same training. Labor rates really didn't go up that much in that time period. And it's like, hmm, what changed? Well, I changed. Okay, so you changed and you convinced your client to follow the path that you did and that made them, and I don't want to say richer, not in money, but they made them a richer people. Yeah. And so my goal with the coaching and training is at the end of the training, are you a better version of yourself than you were when we started? And if you are a better version of yourself, you and your team, you'll have exponential increase that you would have never gotten before had the shift not happened in here. When we live from here, not just here. Sometimes we need to take that 13 inch journey, or if you're over six feet, it might be 14 inches, but we need to take that journey to get out of our head and into our heart. But we don't ever live just from our heart. We don't ever live just from our head. We have a balance. So when my life blew up, I went through part of that investment in a day is I became a certified life coach. In that life coaching is what helped. And it wasn't that I told the shop owners, we're going to go talk about a bunch of touchy feely things. Because most guys, we don't like touchy feeling things. I, you know what? Give me a tool. Give me a way. Give me a method. You know, and again, if how-tos were enough, we'd all be skinny, rich, and happy. There's tons of tools out there. There are tons of information on how to have a profitable, high-end operating shop. What gets in the way is the intangible. The brain works in one of two things. Whenever you think, you either have a, a what I call a love-based or faith-based type thought. It's a positive, outgoing, vibrant, full of life type thought. And it releases, it in brain scans, it releases like a green chemical web in your brain and it goes down and it, it's intoxicating to other organs of your body that brings health and life and stability and nutrition and all the healing that goes on. Then with a fear-based thought, or a hate-based thought, you'll have a toxic chemical released from your brain. And brain scans have shown it's like this black web that goes over your brain. And everybody, self-included, whenever you're in fear, you feel like there's this cloak of weight on you when you're in fear. And it's that pressure even physically on the brain, but then it goes and puts that chemical down into different parts of the body. Studies have shown, especially with deep work and PTSD, and I don't get into heavy PTSD work, but I've researched enough of it to know I don't want to go there for my alley that I stay in for life coaching. But they're now finding that emotional upheaval causes different cancer in different organs based on the kind of level of stress it is. It's not a cookie cutter, hard formula, but certain kinds of stress typically historically will create this kind of cancer. And we're back to the intangible. So without going to depth of that, and that might be a lot for somebody to intake, let's talk about some of the intangibles that affect 
your workflow. And one of the intangibles that I see is very impactful. We have a unique assessment that measures nine behavioral traits. Behavioral traits are from a thinking, a belief system that are activated in the form of actions. And so one of them is pace, sense of urgency. And I got some shops that just cannot produce work. And we assess their team and everybody on their team is low pace, including the owner, which is another intangible because most owners hire themselves. And if you want something different, you better hire something different, smarter, faster, better than you. And so when it comes to pace, we have people hardwired at slow pace and there's nothing wrong with that. Just know that will produce a certain level of result. If you want to have a difference, now you have to interject high efficient systems that can accommodate a low pace individual to keep them moving through the process. Your canned jobs, your workflow, your point of sale, you know, working with service intelligence, you know, when you're prepping a repair to the old manual way, 10 to 15 minutes, use service intelligence. And in five to 10 seconds, you can have everything you need to prep that repair order with or for that, what the vehicles reveal. Very powerful. So you want to systemize your business in such a way that you can accommodate low paced people. And low paced people have a value in a sense that they're at even steady keel pace and they're predictable. There's not a lot of fluctuation in them. You get high energy people, and I tend to be on the higher end of things. It's like, oh my gosh, don't give that guy another quad mocha. (laughs) He's already pinging off the walls. And we're fragmented, but we can handle and process a lot. So pace is one of the ones that comes into into play. We can measure that before, and it doesn't mean you don't hire somebody that's got low pace. It just means now you know what you got, and we implement some coaching that goes with that. That's just one element of the intangible affecting your business. I'll say this, coaching a shop, I've been coaching them since 2008, and we did a lot of great work with them. The kids are now running the shop, and the son and daughter are running the shop, and they're doing phenomenal. But since I started coaching them in 2008, they stepped away and they used some other coaching. And they were recently with a coach, and I'm not going to name the company, but they were told that the days of technicians producing over eight hours a day are gone. You're not going to get that anymore. You just can't, you just, you just can't expect that out of technicians. And I'm like, my first thing was like, run, that is pure fear-based. So now we have an intangible affecting coaching that's affecting shops and what they can throughput. I was going to go somewhere with that, but then my shiny ball squirrel kicked in. I didn't notice that. (laughs) Of the intangibles. But Dave, you're talking about the believability when someone tells you this is, this is what you can expect. And if you believe it, and that is going to limit you in some way, if you don't believe that that's the case and you can work through it or above it, to your point, you've got to find the people, the systems, the processes to get you there. Eventually, you got to find the people, the process and the systems to get there. Eventually, it starts with this. And I am still unpacking these words in this order because that's not the order I used to live life by. The order is be, do and have. See, I used to do things, well, if I just had this system, if I just had better people, if I just had this, then I could do and then I could be. Problem was, is I never had things until I did something so I could have something. And when I did do something, I wasn't the full emotional intelligence behind it. So I never operated at the level that actually produced the do at the level that I wanted to have what I wanted. It makes so much sense to me, be, do, have. It does. And what you're telling me 
that we don't necessarily approach it in that order? We don't because especially, in a, and again, the male demographic, most guys, we gain our value from what it is that we do. If we can't do anymore, all of a sudden our self-worth and value, we're in confusion. We don't know what to do. When I have shop owners who are, they were a tech, opened up a shop, became a tech advisor, shop foreman, eventually mostly wrote service, then got service advisors. And eventually they worked themselves up into a managerial role. And this is where I find a lot of them really frustrated and they tank their business so that they have to go back out in the shop because they're, they don't see their value as a manager. They create a situation subconsciously. They have to go back out in the shop to create their own value again so they feel comfortable. It's been said, Brian Clemmer said this, and he's been a mentor in my life who I never met. I was four days away from meeting him and he passed away at a leadership personal development experience. But he said a phrase, the most addictive drug on this planet, it's not drugs, alcohol, sex, it's none of that. The most addictive drug is comfort zone. And comfort zone is always kept with an edge of fear. Because once you step out of your comfort zone, you had to pierce this veil called fear that holds our comfort zone. And when fear embraces our thinking, we're going to have limited scarcity thinking. When we step outside of our comfort zone, which I found, by the way, to be very uncomfortable (laughs) on a personal level. But when I step out of it and I keep stepping out of it, now my new two, three, five steps outside my comfort zone, my comfort zone keeps growing. If you think about this, if you ever have, you stepped outside your comfort zone, you went for a a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. It's like when you started the aftermarket news, the, the podcast and that, you probably set some pretty good goals, right? I did. Did you hit every one of them? No. So when you didn't hit your goal... How did it make you feel? In a regrouping mode. Yeah. And so where did you go when you hit this uncomfortable, didn't hit my goal? You know, you're outside your comfort zone. Where did you go? Where did I go? It pushed me to uh, rethink. It pushed me to realize that I didn't didn't necessarily have enough information to continue to proceed. I mean, I'm a, an individual. I'm never satisfied. I'm always looking for new things. So in my case, my interesting story is it started with one podcast, then added another, and then added Town Hall Academy, and then added Aftermarket Weekly, and then the four Aftermarket Radio Network shows that we currently have. And it was because we had the capabilities and the talent. We just kept adding, you know, Tracy came on we kept we kept growing without knowing that there could be an end in sight i guess we had lofty great goals and i was always in the b mode i guess and i always figured out how i could do and then ultimately what we have here today is something that i'm still on the doing zone it's a three-legged stool we sit on in life b do have but we need to start with b the beingness of who we are so that we can again do at the highest level have at the highest level when we step outside our comfort zone and it hurts it's painful we didn't hit our goal we messed up we didn't communicate something properly we we tried new value words and reasonings on the front counter we tried this new program and it didn't work our first time well i'm just gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and so we go back into our comfort zone and we do exactly that the key there is we don't go back to our comfort zone. We go back in our comfort zone. We're not on the edge. We keep going back in. And the more you get hurt, the more your comfort zone starts to shrink. And here's kind of a worst case scenario. Most of us, or at least heard about it, know somebody who won't even leave their house. They don't want to talk to anybody. It's so small, but it didn't start there. That's learned behavior. 
I kept thinking about the comfort zone and getting back in it. And when you were speaking those words, all I could think of was it was enveloping me all around me. And it was, and then I had a, you've seen those TV shows, those science fictions where you're trying to push out of your comfort zone and your comfort zone keeps pushing back. And then when you give up, you say, oh, okay, I, I feel pretty good. Maybe it's like comfort food. Uh, <laughs> to a point, <laughs> no. what we do with the holidays here. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because when I went through my journey and I went to a nine-week seminar workshop, you come together for three days and you set BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. You set them in four areas of your life, personal, professional, contribution, and self-honoring. So you have a balanced approach to setting goals. It's not just one. You set one goal, you can become imbalanced, over-focused, and alienate people in your life. But when you have a balanced set of goals for that, one of them was self-honoring. And so here's how the intangible works in sometimes setting goals. So I'd taken clients out to steak dinners before. And while that night, I had a steak dinner myself. But I'd never taken Dave out to have a steak dinner and just spent time with Dave. It sounds as awkward as that. So yeah, I did. I dated myself. I turned my phone off, not even on vibrate, didn't pull it up on the table, didn't any of that. No notepad, no pen, because I'm always gotten creative thoughts, always writing stuff down. Ordered the steak, savored the salad, savored the garlic bread, savored the steak, the, the twice baked potato. I mean, I just, I savored the whole moment. It was so enriching. And in that moment, I'm like, and being faith-based, it's like, okay, God, who am I? Tell me more about how do you see me? I want to get myself out of the way. How was I created? What, what is my purpose? What am I here for? And in the moment, I got to see elements of Dave that I hadn't seen before, even though I've had plenty of quiet times before. It was in the context of self-honoring. So that was awesome. And the next night I go, man, that was so cool. I'm going to go do it again. Went back to the same restaurant, ordered the identical, same everything, and it wasn't fulfilling. And that's when I learned the difference between self-honoring and self-indulgence and that there's a difference from that. Wow. Okay. I get it. I bring that up because most guys, we have an ego. In one sense, we pat ourselves on the back for some things. That's not self-honoring. Self-honoring is to do something that honors the essence of who you are, not the doing that you did. I rocked. I got to, you know, five hours per operator. I got all my GPs at goal. And while we want to have those accolades and rewards and the rest of that, from a place of humility and humbleness, which is the, one of the most gifted character trait strengths you can have, is humility to say, wow, I got stuff out of the way so I could be a better version of me. And now look what it look at the results it produced for my customers, my team, my spouse, my wife, my family, everybody in my life. If I got that stuff out of the way, it's amazing what the impact will be. If you went to Apex 2023, then you realize the incredible commitment that Apex has to the service professional shop owner, technician, and service advisor. Joe's Garage is your place to hang out with 10 working bays and real live working conditions. Also, the best tech companies from tools and repair to management software had their latest and greatest on display and demonstrated for you. You also attended technical and business management training with the industry's best and brightest trainers, coaches, and teachers. Work is underway to make next year's Apex 2024 have even more product demos, trending training, marketing, and social media support to help you grow your career, sales, and profits. Remember, if you earn your living in the service aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening, and we'll bring you the latest from Apex 2024. Save the date, November 5th through the 7th, 2024. Hey, let's face it. 
Your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. NapaTrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the industry's best, most comprehensive SMS. Now, it all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you need to run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. And having local representation is a huge plus. Customizing tracks to your business, whether you're a one-person shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company, a representative consults with you to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. Tracks always has the flexibility to do business how you need to do it, which means it can also grow as your business grows. And unlike the other guys, we'll be there for you after installation with the best training and support in the business. Yes, a learning management system tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. Visit us on the web at NapaTrax, that's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. I took a, a week-long class on EQ a, a while back, Dave, uh, and to some of the things you're speaking to, the facilitator had me in lockstep with uh, meeting my, my grandfather, who I adored, who died when I was like 17, took me back to meet him and rethink what I respected and adored about him and how it made me who I am today. It's funny you should say grandfather, because my grandfather played guitar, could play any stringed instrument, just pick it up and just start playing it. He was a mechanic and he had a gas station on Kodiak Island, which I got to be on Kodiak Island in 1964 when the earthquake went off. I was four years old, never seen a house so flexible, but he was a role model in my life. So much of an impact. Part of my journey in personal development was going back to childhood experiences that were not just the broken ones that left a negative emotional scar, but going back to the strengths, like you, like you said, you go back to, here's this great influence, somebody in my life, and now can I build on that? Everybody on this planet at some level, we're dealing with our inner child. There's an emotional event happens in our life that we have an emotional scar and we guarded, we protect our heart and we closed it off. We're trying to control the pain, so we close it off. And we never process that pain. When we don't process that pain, the emotional growth in that area is stunted. It doesn't grow. It has a lower and IQ from a place of the guy's stupid. It's just because we've never allowed it to grow. And so as we look at inner child events, and a lot of it are father wounds, mother wounds, and how they come out. And that affects an auto repair shop center. Here's an example. I don't know if I shared this before on the thing, but I'm at ATE Northwest up in Seattle, West Coast largest training expo and that phenomenal place. Love it. Most trainers love teaching there because it's a different feel and vibe of that whole environment there. So I'm doing one on leadership and personal development. I'm doing the very on this very thing around, not necessarily called intangibles, but the emotional intelligence type thing. And I'm asking for a brave volunteer, somebody who wants to produce a result more than what they've ever had before, but they feel stuck and they can't get there. And so this young man, he, I asked for a volunteer, who's got a big goal that you want to do? It was a young man, and he was like 28 years old, and he's a service advisor at this shop. I asked him, I said, okay, are you willing to come up and play a big game? He says, yep. So he came up and I said, what's your goal? He says, in nine months, I want to own this shop. And I went, because the owners offered it to him. And I said, wow, that's a pretty big goal. Do you have any money in the bank? He goes, no. Awesome. And so do you think that you can do it? He goes, nope, I don't think I can. But I want it. I want it. I want it. But I can't. Now, do you see where the emotional conflict resides? 
We want more hours for parrot or GP dollars. We want you know productivity at 90%, efficiency at 150, all the metrics that we set in a shop to be to rock our shop. We want all that stuff, but we got something competing with it. And so I said, okay, are, are you willing to process through that? And he said, sure. So we walked through and I said, so why is it that you don't feel you can get that? No, so I didn't say think. I said, feel you can get that. And he said, well, I don't think I'm good enough. And I said, okay, so how long have you felt like you're not good enough for that and or other things? It goes, a long time. I go, tell me the first time that you really felt like you weren't good enough. Can you give me an experience of that? And this young man says, I can tell you exactly when it was. I'm out, it's my little league baseball coach. I'm out there giving my best. I'm giving my all. And my coach says, come on, you're better than that. You're better than that. And it was just like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And I said, interesting. So in the realm of not good enough, that voice, where were some of the other voices that are supposed to support you in life that could enhance or maybe help protect you versus you protecting yourself? Like, like for example, where was your dad when your coach started saying that? He goes, my dad was my coach. And, and it was like, oh my gosh, you could hear a pen drop in the room. And I said, hmm, interesting. I said, can I ask you something maybe from a different perspective? Why is it that your dad, as your coach, said, come on, you're better than that. You're better than that. What was his reasoning? Well, I'm not good enough. Okay, I get that's what you made it mean. What would be his motivation for him to tell you that you're better than that? Why would he even say that to you? Well, because he thought I was better than that. And why would he say that to you? Maybe he could see something I couldn't see. And everybody in the room, they clapped. They thought that I said, you know what? It goes beyond that. Are you willing to continue? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, so your dad sees something. There's something more better in you. But why would your dad say it to you? And he said, well, because he could, he wanted me to be, see the gold in me. I guess he actually said the word gold in me. And I said, okay, well, I get it. But why would he want you to have the gold in you come out? He wanted me to do better. And I go, okay, but why did he want you to do better? And the whole room is starting to see this now. And this young man, he's going, he's struggling with this because he's got a belief system inside, which I'll get to in a second. And I said, but why would he say that to you? What does that show about him, his feelings toward you? And he said, I don't know. I guess he just thought I could do better. But what does it mean about your dad to you? The class started to answer. And I go, wait, wait, wait. Now the class, I'm going to process you. How many of you in your shop rescue your people so they don't have to think for themselves. And now every time there's a problem, everybody comes to you and you're burnt out because now you're thinking for 15 people. Stop rescuing so that you can have peace of mind and you can empower your people to grow and be a better version of them. So then I turned my attention back to the young man and I said, by the time I said, he goes, well, he said that because he loves me. I said, Absolutely. I said, for all these years, when he said you're not good enough, you made it mean he didn't love you, right? Yeah. But the real challenge was he loved you enough to challenge the gold in you. And everybody clapped. This kid is starting to, he's getting this smile on his face and a little bit of tears in his eyes. And I said, and it's more than that. And he looks at me, the whole crowd got quiet. And I said, if your dad loved you, what did it mean about you? And he went, that he loved me. I go, yeah, but what does it mean about you for someone to love you? What does it mean about you? And this young kid, he's stuck again. The crowd starts to rescue again. I go, come on, guys, you got to break that habit. <laughs> Work on your discipline. Don't rescue. Otherwise, you're going to have the same thing you've ever had. He finally gets to it and he goes, because I'm lovable. That was his transformation. That was his breakthrough. So many times we hold the space. I'm unlovable. I'm insignificant. My voice doesn't matter. Those three lines there, 
That's what made Dave's life blow up in 2010. That was my persona. Here's this young man who's in the very thing I needed that day to hear. I've been given the opportunity to process somebody who's got the exact same thing I needed in that moment. Part of my coaching is I'm still working on Dave. And when my clients call, huh, I guess I need that today. <laughs> it's amazing. But we as leaders, Dave, we do say those kinds of things to our people because we see the gold in them. We know that they're they're just missing this next little inch or two. And so because it's our job to enlighten and push and elevate and the receiver isn't getting that from me. And so there's this gap, I guess, that we as leaders have to understand or do we just keep pushing through till the the receiver has the uh, the breakthrough? So it's how we approach the message of you're better than that. When we say you're better than that, it's accusatory. Instead of saying this, I know you can do it. Is that maybe better? It makes them less than. And so here's maybe a different approach. You know, Bill, I need you to help me understand something. You are so smart. You are so intelligent. You're gifted with strategies, tactics, and angles. So in this particular goal, how could you have used those to actually go get that goal. What in you that maybe you didn't fully use could have gotten those? Now I'm not talking, I'm not attacking any emotional character, intelligent level. I'm asking him to be self-respective. I'm not leading him into the pointing out the fault he didn't go get, the result he didn't get. When we say, you know, you're better than that, there's more gold in you. I get those statements, I do. And sometimes I even say them, but I'm pointing to in a somewhat secondary accusatory, come on, you got to let that gold out. What do you, what's wrong with you is basically what that message carries. But when I ask the person to then be introspective for them to go look at the gold inside of them, for them to go discover that now when they see it, they'll own it. When I point out somebody's a different viewpoint to somebody, they may not get it. Back to the young man's story. So I followed up with him. And in nine months, he was in process of buying that shop. He came from a place of self-worth, busted through his glass ceiling. And now fear wasn't limiting his life. And lack of self-love is pure fear-based. That's why LOF pricing is lack of self-love. It's fear. Now, that's a huge dots to connect for some people. Some people may have to think about that for a minute. But your labor rate, it's based on your fear. Your LOF pricing is based on your fear. I've seen some shops that they're doing things like, oh my gosh, you just challenged my fear. I thought I was living free and not in fear in this area, but you just showed me, wow, I've got a limiting belief there. Oh, Dave, you're wrong. That's my lost leader, Dave. Yeah. Here's our automotive industry, number one fear-based phrase. Well, I have to be fair market value. <laughs> it's just fear. It's just fear. But no, Dave, you can price yourself out of the market. You could, but what's market are you looking for? You looking for the bottom feeders? Yeah, you'll price yourself right out of the bottom feeder market. Maybe that you should do that. Maybe you should go to a different market, pull in a different customer. In fact, most shops don't even have their avatar customer. Who is it that I really want? Who is it that I really, really want playing in the sandbox of life with fun and joy that loves taking care of their car? What kind of customers are those? 
huh, I think I'm going to go get those kind of cars. Those They have that kind of customers. I heard a great story the other day uh, about value, setting up a value prop. And we're building trust. We're not talking about price yet, but we're trying to set up all of the, the factors as to why the individual is going to buy from us, be it legacy or brand new customer. And for someone to say, I see you wear glasses and I know you wouldn't be wearing anything inexpensive and you value what your eyes do for you. You value what your eyes do for you, as you will value the the we're going to do to your vehicle, the the maintenance we're going to put you on. And I don't remember the exact connection there, but when I heard you value your eyes, that just hit me. I'm a, I'm a glasses wearer. Really important for me to see good. That's just me. I'm, I'm one of those crazy detail people that has to see every period. You know, so just so you know, Carm, I can see myself using that example. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Pun, the king of puns. I get it. So it's funny that you say that because the passion and excitement of your expression with hand gesture and everything, that is led by emotional intelligence. When we are allowed to connect with our passion, when we are allowed to lead with that, whether it's diagnostic power steering, whether it's a leadership, it's an onboarding statement to a new prospective employee. How do we lead with passion? How do we lead with emotional intelligence at such a high level that we it's intoxicating for other people want to be a better version of themselves? Some of the areas that a lot of shops struggle with, the owners and managers, is they're unapproachable. An unapproachable person is because they're guarding their heart with fear and they're not authentic. And at some level, level two, level 10, doesn't matter. Some level, you've got a guarded heart. And when you have a guarded heart, you'll be unapproachable. I heard this phrase once, I'm unpacking it. I'm not going to say it's a truth, but I think there's a truth in it. A broken heart is an open heart. When you truly are broken and you truly hit, in a sense, what a lot of us phrase at rock bottom, when we truly are exhausted of protecting and we just surrender to the moment, it hurts, it sucks, it's terrible. A broken heart is an open heart. Is it good to have a broken heart? It is if you're surrounded with people who love you. If you're alone, it's very tough very hard. I can see that. I had a broken heart many, many, many years ago. First engagement that I ever had. I found out something that uh, broke my heart, but I did something about it. I think it was maybe because I did have some good, strong people around me that I got over it, but I was so confident that I was doing the right thing, even though my heart was broken. Life's never been promised that life's fair. There's no promise of that. That phrase is a fear-based thing so we can hide. Life's not fair. Life's ups and downs. We live in a, a world that has a negative energy in it, a negative context of wanting people to fail. I believe that there's an energy that's going out there, but I believe there's more of a, not an exact opposite, a more powerful. There's a positiveness that we carry with us. And from faith-based, I believe is my creator. And so inside of that, walking with him daily in a moment where I feel like I am pilot dog crap. And there are days, even as a life coach, I still got those days, those emotions come up. But I don't sit in them for six, nine, 12, two, three years. Sometimes it might be an hour, couple hours, maybe a day, two. But I have an inner circle people that know my language. They know my energy. And when they read it, they I've given them permission to help me out of that. Hey, look, at, I, I want to jump back a few minutes ago about comfort zone. How do we get out of our comfort zone? Do we what, how do we do different things? Great question. And so that's another whole 
three-day workshop. <laughs> I'm serious about it. My life was completely transformed, starting with personal mastery at Clemmer & Associates. And when you take it once, you get to go back for life. I, in January, I'm taking service intelligence and our team through it again, and that'll be my 18th one. Every time I go through it, I get something more, more about it, which here's how you get out of your comfort zone. Become a better version of you ongoing all the time. Because the better version of you is outside your comfort zone. And when you're committed to you, it's amazing. American Express, this is back in the 70s or 80s, they did a study of what has the best return on investment for your money, hands down. Stocks, bonds, real estate, franchising, business. They did gold, precious metals. They did everything. Hands down, personal development had the best ROI when you invest in yourself. Because when you get yourself out of the way, and you live at a level 10 state of beingness, it's amazing what you're going to go create. That's how I could take shops from 208,000, thought I was doing good, patted myself on the back, got rid of pride, stepped into humility because my life created the space for me to accept humility. And when I did that, now my clients are getting 300. And currently, the more I'm working on myself, you know, that was 2010. So 13 years later, and now my average clients are gaining 439,000 of new GP dollars in 12 months. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say that to say, get yourself out of the way. So it's not the business, it's the person. It is. If how-tos were enough, we'd all be skinny, rich, and happy. Oh my gosh, you know how many shop owners have written books of how to have a, a profitable shop? You know how many coaches out there that teach you how to be a profitable? And I can't tell you how many times people have actually been through my high-level coaching. And when they get done, they're stuck. Now, they're stuck at a higher level because they didn't fully transform. They didn't fully let go of the things that they need to let go of. And so I coach shops that have been through other coaching. And I encourage, because I don't do a group process, it's not on my radar for a company truck to do a group process at all. What I will say is that I think you're ready for a group process. I think you now have enough self-worth that you can stand on your own as a shop owner to know, I know what I need to do to create. And now Dave doesn't have all the experiences in the automotive arena. I mean, I'm a coaching for 17 years and have almost 50 years of coaching or of automotive experience, but I haven't experienced everything. So every shop I go to, I gain an experience based on what they've been through and bring that to the coaching. Well, there's times where in group process, when I have my shop and part of bottom line impact groups, which is now Cecil, the Institute uh, has them. Group processes are phenomenal because you have a band of brothers and sisters that can help you when you're in your stuff that can help challenge you. But what you want to do is you want to find out the ones that have the highest EQ, join those groups because they'll take you the furthest. Wow. I want to try to find a, a way to wrap this up. And I, I think you probably got another seven days of recordings here with me. How about seven minutes? Can you give me seven to wrap this thing up? Yeah, it really comes down to the number one EQ character trait to go focus on is the emotional intelligence of intention. What's your deepest seated commitment? That's what's running your life. Most of us, 99% of our deepest seated commitment is subconscious unspoken. We don't know it. Put yourself in an environment where you can do self-discovery. I would highly suggest when you're going through a self-discovery process, you don't use yourself and your current level of thinking as your tour guide because you're not going to see the things you need to see. Get a life coach, get a pastor, get a mentor, get somebody in your life, go through personal development. For me, my experience, and I dabbled in a couple of the other name, really good coaching development companies. But for me, 
Clemmer and Associates was just one of the most powerful experiences. And I will continue that journey of going back and visiting those workshops, especially when you pay for it, you get to go back for free. You get a staff, but always working on me, always working on a better version of Dave. And sometimes what it's one step forward, three steps backwards. And then the next day, it's five steps forward, two steps backwards. I'm gaining ground. I'm not about perfection. I'm just about how can I be a more excellent Dave than I was last week, last year. It's incredibly great advice. But if I was if I was struggling and I was listening to this and I was hearing Dave tell me work on me, what's my next step? What do I do? That's a great question. The first thing is probably pick up a phone and call somebody, call me, call somebody. If you know other shops that are really rocking it, call them. You know, how do I work on me? You just Google personal development. You have a plethora of companies that come up for that. I hate religion. I hate religiosity. But to me, I found so much self-worth and value reading the Bible that it shifts and moves and transforms my heart with the words there. When I'm humble and I'm humility and I'm open and I take religiosity off of that and I realize that that's a love letter from God to me and I get to see his attributes of how I am lovable. The real journey in life is really discovering who it is, who's our authentic self, who are we? And because we're masked and guarded so many times, we can't discover that really by ourselves. There's no doubt that a lot of us need need to be coached and mentored and guided. But if someone wanted to take away a DIYer's view of this, what this episode can do for them, going back, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not you and I'm not an expert. It's the be, do and have. Be who you are. Be vulnerable. Be open. Open your heart and then take that. There's the do piece and get out there and do something. Maybe do something different than you've never done before. And then wrap all that up into have. And I don't get the have part in me that deeply right now. But I guess you can't have unless you be and do. Yep. At the highest level, you could you could wait for success to land. And, you know, I'm going to wait for that 90,000 mile services to keep coming to my door. So I have success so I can have GP dollars so I can go buy my equipment and training. And then so then I can have a flourishing company. That's just backwards. We, If you put have first, that is waiting for life to give you success before you do the inherent work of a B and do. I'm starving for more. This could be one of those, you know, Rogan podcasts that go on for four hours. Here's a do-it-yourself tangible step that they can go get right now. Leadership and self-deception by the Arbinger Institute, followed by the anatomy of peace. Read both those books and check in with you how you show up in that storyline with your own people. I got a shop owner that I recommended this book. It was so impacting to him. He went out and bought like 20, 30 copies of the book and handed it out to all his family and friends and people he knew that he said, man, I can see people need a breakthrough in this area. It was so passionate, but it transformed his life. Anatomy of Peace is his second book. Yeah. And so the timeline is read the books, Leadership and Self-Deception first, Anatomy of Peace second. But in reality, the real storyline that are described in the books, Anatomy of Peace actually came first. But you won't get Anatomy of Peace until you read Leadership and Self-Deception first. You get the fullness out, out of it. All right. I'm going to put this up on the books page for everyone. Dave, this was heavy. Thank you. I learned a lot. And probably if I was maybe 30 years younger, and I'm not saying I don't need it now, but I think the longer you're on this world and having gone through your roller coasters of life, I can hear and feel and see so much of what you're talking about that's happened to me over time. Yeah. 
Wow. You have to be open, very vulnerable to be able to listen to somebody like you to help you with the, the things that you could do to change and be a better leader, be a better dad, a husband's a significant other and all of that. But that piece about you can do better, heavy, heavy, good stuff. And I think a lot of stuff we can take away and bring to our life and our business tomorrow. Dave Shadeen, CEO of CompuTrek Automotive Solutions, master coach, former shop owner and former master tech. Thank you so, so much for being here, man. Thank you, man. Thanks, Carm. Great to be here. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. Thank you.